Wednesday nights we've been doing, uh, this year anyway, uh, we sort of shifted our Bible Institute night from Sunday night to here. We have a Bible Institute, and uh, if you ever want to get more involved, you can sign up for courses. We have 104 courses we offer. You can earn a, an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, um, and uh, it's all free. So it's not many of those opportunities out there. We had 606 students this morning. Uh, so, yeah, right? we get students all the time. It's kind of cool. And uh, they're all over the world. It's kind of fascinating. And they have to communicate with me when they finish a course. And they write papers and stuff. And it's good. It's a, it's a kick. So anyway, um, we're doing a course right now called The Kingdom of God, which is a great course for us. Uh, and uh, it, it, to me, it really helps sort of gives you a, a sort of a working framework for understanding all the Bible and how some things work together. And I think that's always really important. And... Uh, and, and it allows us to hold a lot of things in tension, what we're talking about in the kingdom of God, which is an important thing when you're studying the Bible because uh, we're not, our culture isn't great at holding things in tension where it seems like there's two things that if you're on the surface it may, might be opposite, but they're really not. But um, the, the, the culture, you know, that the, the uh, Jewish people had, it holds things in tension all the time. And so... Um, uh, a lot of stuff in the Bible needs to be held in tension. And this, this thing that we're talking about now, the kingdom of God, as we understand it, I think it helps us to hold things in tension a little bit, which is very important. So what we've been talking about so far uh, in the kingdom of God is we, we came up with a working definition that when you read about the kingdom of God in, in the New Testament, you're, you're reading about the authority, the rule, and the reign of God. So it's not a place um, or a people um, although it can have some secondary meanings like that, but it's always the, the rule and the reign of God. So scriptures like seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, what we're seeking is His rule and His reign, His authority in our lives. When we pray, let your kingdom come, uh, let, let your rule and your reign come. That's what we're praying for in those prayers. And when you read those scriptures, they'll start to make sense for you. So we have that going on, and we talked about that in the first week. And I also said, um, and we'll go more on this in a little while, that the kingdom of, uh, is here in part, but not fully here, that, that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came the first time, and he'll consummate the kingdom when he returns um, on, on the second coming. Then last week, we sort of talked about the, um, the enemy's kingdom, if you would, the, the little K kingdom uh, of the evil one. And um, I wanted to make sure that you understood that the kingdom of God and the, the enemy's kingdom, they're not equal in any way. That this uh, is not, in effect, a battle between God and the enemy because God is so far superior to the enemy, he just tossed the enemy out of heaven in a flash. Whoop, done. The, the moment he acted up, gone. But the battle that continues is between the evil one and the people on the planet Earth. That's where the battle lies. And so that, that gives us a little distinction of what's going on. But but God's authority was, was never possibly usurped by the enemy, never could be, never would be. And uh, God just kicked him out of heaven in a flash. And so we, we talked about that last week. And, 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 and I sort of left you with this, that since he's been kicked out of heaven, our adversary, the, the enemy, and we talk about this a lot on Sundays, his whole thing is he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You guys will know that because I give you that verse all the time, John 10.10. 10. That stated enemy's mission. The enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. So the enemy is basically, you know, he's desperately trying to keep people from experiencing the full and abundant now and forever life 
that we were originally created for. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, this should be on the sheets that I passed out. And uh, if you didn't get one, you may want to grab one. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The little g, God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So a couple of things you see there. The, the, the enemy is trying to keep people blinded from the truth. That's desperately what he's trying to do. And remember, I tell you this all the time. The other thing that he does is once he loses that battle and we come into the kingdom of God and we become believers, uh, he doesn't just go, okay, well, that's, that's that. He, he further then tries to keep us from experiencing the life that we're supposed to experience because he knows that as a believer, experiencing the full and abundant life that he came, you to, get, that he came to give you, you impact the world around you for the kingdom. And the enemy knows that, that he doesn't want that to happen. He's trying to keep people in darkness. So because he's out, he's, that's his thing. He's trying to keep as many people out as he can. Now, so he's referred to in that passage that I just read you as the little g God of this age. Now, we, we need to talk about that word age there for a minute and um, why that's very important. So in, in the New Testament, there's two Greek words which are often translated by the English word world. And uh, many translations um, translate a, one of those words, world. Now, let me give you the word. So one of the words is cosmos. And um, cosmos, uh, you know, many, many of you have heard that word. And, and its Greek usage, its common one is is the world as the sum total of everything constituting an orderly universe. And so that's, a, that's how that should be translated when you get to cosmos. The other word, though, that's in many translations, not in the one I just read you because I read you out of the NIV, but in many translations that translated world is the word aeon, A-I-O-N. Uh, it's where we get our English word eon from. And um, aeon has... Um, it, it doesn't really, you know, sort of designate or depict order or structure, but it designates a period of time. That's why when you say eon, you know, when we, oh, that's eons ago or whatever, it's talking about a period of time. So the, the best way for that word to be translated is by the word age, which the NIV happens to do. But um, if you've read the NIV in a different translation, you've probably come across it saying this world and the world to come. And that's very confusing because it makes it sound like there's worlds, there's a world and there's a world to come, when in fact there's this age and the age to come. And so there's this time and the time to come, and that's really what we need to talk about uh, in the process. So these two ages are referred to frequently in the New Testament. If you haven't seen it before, you'll see it now that I've mentioned it. When you read it, you'll see it happens quite a bit, this age and the age to come. So that verse I just read you out of 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, says that the evil one is the little g-god of this age. And I said last week, the evil one's been permitted by God for this time to rule over anyone who hasn't submitted themselves to God through Christ. Uh, and that's what he's doing. So in, in effect, if we're not to submitted to God in Christ, if we haven't come to life in Christ, um, if we're not under his rule and his reign... Um, by default, we're part of the kingdom of the enemy. It's, those are the only two options that there are. So um, 
the enemy, the evil one, is, is sort of over this, this little, uh, the little G-God of this present age. So I want to diagram this a little bit, and then we'll work down to the big diagram you have in your notes. So um, let, let's say at the beginning uh, of all of this, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You guys all know that. We'll call that creation, okay? So we'll put that at the beginning of our, our diagram. And then what we have is this sort of continuing line then, if you would, and that would be this present age. So, so you know, obviously there was creation, and at some point there was the fall, um, and, and we're not sure how long that took. Uh, you know, when you read the narrative, it sounds like God created, you know, Adam and Eve, and like they immediately fell. Um, we don't know that to be true. We know that they at some point sinned, what that period of time was, we don't know. And so, um, uh, but then there was probably a period of time before that happened. All right. So, we're in this present age. Sorry if my writing's not very good. You ought to hear mock me up in the young adult room. <laughs> like entirely the whole time. Of course, I get a little strange up there and I put little notes all over the place. But still, nonetheless. All right. So, this present age, the character of this present age is evil. Uh, it reflects the little g-god of this age, the, the evil one. And, and that's pretty apparent, right? If you looked around and you said, well, what's the character of this present age? You'd turn on the news for, for 10 seconds. And you, well, it's evil. It's constant evil. In fact, it's so evil that we start to get used to it, which is really scary. But it's like, it, now it really takes a showstopper to get your attention, right? And so they got to escalate it to new heights of evil because it's constant. Anyway, so that's the character of the age. I think you would agree to that. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so uh, what we know is, is that we, before we came to Christ, this was the only thing that we knew was this present evil age and the ruler of this present evil age, the kingdom of the air, that the enemy is in, um, <coughs> in control of all those who are disobedient. Now, this age, though, is in direct conflict with another age that the Bible talks about, and I mentioned it earlier, and it's referred to in the Scripture as the age to come. So there's this age, which is evil, and the age to come. Ephesians 1.21 far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So there's another age. Um, so there's this present age, and there's an age to come. So um, let's, let's just uh, say that there's an age to come, all right, for now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that in just a second, you'll see. But so now in Matthew uh, 24.3, it says that these two ages are separated by the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples are tying together the end of this age and the second coming uh, of Christ in this whole process. So uh, at some point, the, you have the second coming of Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. We, we talked about the feast and everything. We're tying it together. Trumpet sound. We're waiting for the return of Christ to take place. 
his second coming. And the, the, if you ever wonder when you're reading, if you read a fancy term, it's parousia is the fancy term for the second coming of Christ. I don't know if you're ever playing Bible trivia. You may need to know that, but you probably won't remember it anyway. All right. So, so we have the second coming. We have this age and the age to come separated by the second coming. Now we get a little more information on this in Mark 10, 17 through 30. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Remember the kingdom of God is the rule, the reign, the authority. Okay. And it's harder for... You get it. All right. So the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who in the world can be saved? Because their whole thought was rich people were blessed by God. And that was, that was the prevailing thought at the time. And Jesus looked at him and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, which is good news for everybody. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So in this passage, there's tremendous links. There's a link between um, eternal life, the kingdom of God, salvation, the age to come. So the kingdom of God, in effect, belongs to the age to come, and it's in sharp contrast to the present age. So the, they really shouldn't be on the same level, all right? They're not, they're not on equal planes in the whole process. And so I want to I make a little change in the diagram uh, to sort of illustrate that. So um, what you have then is the age to come is, is where all the neat stuff is going to happen, right? And when Jesus comes back at the second coming, everything gets set right, and, and all these promises that we're just reading about, and, you know, salvation and everything. That's a, I, I got to re that just bothers me. Okay. So now you have this present age, you have the age to come, and the change is at the second coming when Jesus uh, comes back which is what we're waiting for. Uh, waiting for. So, so that's great news for the future, but what about right now? Well, here's where it gets very interesting. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Jesus rescues us from this present evil age by the power of the age to come, which reaches back and, and it's projected itself into Christ when Christ came and died for us um, in this present evil age so that we can be rescued or delivered from this present evil age. So something happens, and you know that, and that's at the cross, 
something significant happens. And, and, and so um, uh, the inauguration of the kingdom happens here. I said that the first week. It starts here. The kingdom of God is started here, but it's not fully here yet. And so in Christ, the power of the age to come has infiltrated the present evil age. Um, and, and so we get a taste of the kingdom. Uh, Hebrews 6, 5, one of my favorite verses. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. So the age to come. So in Christ, we, we begin to taste of this uh, amazing life that we're heading into. So um, we, we get it in part now. So let me add to the diagram because this is the good stuff. Because, I mean, this is the this is really... When Jesus comes back, everything gets straightened out, right? The enemy's going to get dealt with, and, and everything is... And there's no more tears, and there's no more pain, and there's no more mess, and all the brokenness. He's going to set everything back, and we're going to talk about how that happens. But, but do we have to wait for all that stuff? Well, see, here's the deal. Because of the cross, the power of the age to come at some level has penetrated this present age. And, and so there's, there's a tension going on now. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's that word aeon again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, weaving, uh, good pleasing, and perfect will. So we're no longer to be conformed to this present evil age, which we know is under the control of the enemy, and all those things in which we were in once before we came to know Christ. But because of Christ now... We live in a different dynamic, and we still, at some level, exist here in, in this, this present evil age. But the power of the age to come has pressed through in some measure and rescued us from it. Because once you come to know Christ, you're saved. You're, you've been delivered. You've been rescued from this. Now, even though why we still live here and this is coming, we're rescued. And so what's happening is we're living in a tension. And this tension that we live in is called the tension of the now and the not yet. And this is really important for us to get. So we live in this area right here. We live in this tension. So, so the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. But it's broken through, and it's here at some level, but it's not fully here, it's coming. And, and so we, we have access because we've been rescued to the promise of the age to come while we still live in the present age, but there's a tension that we need to know. So these two ages currently exist together, and, and, and yet we can experience the power of the life to come so that we can live for Him in this age in order to help more and more people make it uh, into the process. And so I, I think we've, uh, we're caught up, and that's the diagram that's at your bottom of your thing. So we live in this amazing tension. Now, what that allows us to do when you start to understand this, you start wondering, you know, some of the things that we pray for begin to make perfect sense. Uh, and, and so, um, like, when we pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, when we pray for our daily bread, which, and, and we've gone back and we've looked at the Old Testament about why, and at some level it's hooked to the fact that Jesus was, uh, God was teaching the, the Israelites to trust Him in the desert, and He said, just go and collect enough bread for the day. Uh, and because they, were take, they would go out and get manna, and you know what they would do? They'd take three days' worth because they didn't trust God, and it would rot. Everything that was only for a day, he was teaching them to take a day's worth. He's connected to that. But the way it's written is very fascinating when you read that. He's actually saying, um, Lord, 
Would you give us today the bread of tomorrow is part of that prayer. When, when you can look at the way it's translated, and you can say that part of that, the Lord's Prayer, is give us today the bread of tomorrow. And what we ask for when we pray is we're to be asking for everything that's coming to break through now. Because it can, because it has. And so when we're praying for people, when we're praying for uh, the sick, when we're asking God to do miracles, when we're doing those things, it happens because we're, we're actually asking Him to break through as He already has. And in effect, the prayer is, God, when you come, you're going to set it all right anyway. Would you break through now and do it now? And sometimes He does. And sometimes it's not the way we want it because it's, it's not fully here yet. But it's here in part, and we get to taste it. And a taste, has, a, a taste is a, a good thing. It's just we get a taste of the banquet. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a, like a, a dinner party and, and you weren't invited and all you could do was smell the food, but you didn't get to taste it. That's not a good situation. But a taste is pretty good. When I was a kid, my parents used to entertain quite a bit. And, and uh, they would make pretty elaborate food for these parties. And like I was never invited. I'd get a can of SpaghettiOs early. I can say that now because they've both gone on, so they can't get back to me. But uh, I can remember smelling it. Sometimes I'd get it cold, you know, the next day if there was leftover, but you, you really wanted it. Well, this banquet that we're involved to, we get a taste of now. And a taste is all, you, you know, a taste is a good thing. It ain't the full-on banquet, but a taste is good. It's way better than a smell. We get a taste. So, so in effect, what we're doing is we're living in this tension. And it begins to explain all sorts of things. It allows us to account for the sovereignty of God, which is, you know, why is it signs we pray for things and we don't see them happen? Well, the kingdom's not fully here yet. And, and it will eventually happen, and things happen that we don't understand sometimes. But, but we're to pray because it can break through, and we've seen it break through, and we know it, it, it happens, and we know that it ultimately, the big breakthrough is at the cross. Because that, that's what started it to happen. So we live in this fascinating tension. Well, I just want you to have start that to start thinking about because it, it will start to change the way that you look at everything. And, and there, there's something pretty fascinating here. So we've got to talk about what happened. There's something that happens after the second coming, and it'll explain some things in the Bible. It's a, it's a little thing called the millennium, and we can work that right in here, and it fits really well. And some other things that have to happen in there, and you go, why is that there? I don't understand it. But um, these things are happening... And this stuff is happening. So, so we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. It's amazing because we, we, we're partaking already at some measure of the promises of the age to come, but we're not fully there yet. We'll, we'll be there when Jesus comes back or we go to Him, however that works. But we're rescued from this present evil age already. So the enemy has lost his hold over us, and, and and yet he's still trying to keep us stuck down here because that's what he wants to do. And I've explained why already. But you can know, well, I'm not. I'm already part of this other age. I'm, I know I'm here, but it's, it's a tension thing, and I'm heading in that direction. So I, I think if you'll start kind of letting that sink in a little bit and holding it in context of the kingdom, it will help you in a lot of areas as we push forward. But uh, and I, I'm trying not to give you too much all at once, so that's enough, that's enough to think about for... Uh, we're in the next week, and we'll, we'll pick it back up when we get back. If you're watching my video, thanks, and come and see us, and uh, we'll see you all soon, and good night.